This is the iFanboy Pick of the League podcast, episode 410, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. He'd let us in, knows where we've been in his octopus's garden in the shade. Hello, welcome to the iFanboy Pick of the League podcast, episode 410. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and joining me are Josh Flanagan. Hello. And Paul Montgomery. Hello. We are iFanboy, we like <laughs> comics, and every week we read a bunch of comics, or in this case, a few comics. One of us picks the best book they read. We, talk, we call that the Pick of the Week, we talk about the podcast, along with other books of the week, other topics of interest, and other goofy nonsense. Before we get to the show, word of caution. This is going to be a review show, so there'll be spoilers in case you hadn't heard about someone dying or not dying in the saga this week. Uh, so this, so if you haven't read your books yet, pause the show, come back. Everybody will be happier. And this week, on this very special fifth week in comics. Oh, it's funny. It's fifth week, and we're talking about a fifth something else later. That's kind of cool. Josh had to pick. I did. Uh, well, it didn't take me a long time to read comics this week. Uh, <laughs> There were, there were a small number of them. In fact, I had finished my. Here's a little behind the scenes that I had finished my books, and I, I wrote to I wrote to you two, and I was like, "Here's what I read. Is there anything else I can read?" <laughs> like, not, it's not so much. No. no you're like, no, we, we read that many and less. I was like, all right. So I wanted. I tried, because um, there wasn't a whole hell of a lot. However, um, what I ended up with, I decided to make the pick of the week: Superior Spider-Man team up. Uh, I guess one shot, uh, number one, whatever. Yeah. Uh, this is part three of three. Paul, you made the, I guess it was the Hulk? Or was no, it, the it was the first one. I made the X, the all-new yeah. X-Men special number one. And then there the was titles, the titles are, Hulk I guess, special number one. Yeah, the titles are the characters who were in it, basically. Yeah. It's the all-new X-Men, the, the Hulk. and, and It's the superiors. arms of Dr. Octopus storyline. But it's three uh, parts of one storyline. And honestly, if I was a consumer, I would find that confusing because yes. the covers yeah. are not, like, it, it would be hard to follow the thread and each time that a second issue has come out of this, I have missed it. Uh, or I would almost miss it. You know yeah, I, mean? I hadn't read my books yet. And when you said this was the pick, I was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, oh, okay. Exactly. All right. <laughs> because I wouldn't, I'm not going to necessarily get the Superior Spider-Man. I didn't even special. read it because I thought it was that, that book you, you, buy, you guys like, that team up book. That's yeah, Superior yeah. Spider-Man book. So I didn't even read this one. Superior uh, Foes of Spider-Man. Uh, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but, so, yeah. Uh, this is the story that brings together the Hulk or Banner, the all-new X-Men and Superior Spider-Man, and, and a little fun adventure. It's uh, all been written by Mike Costa, so there's definitely one through line that goes through these three specials. Um, and this is the culmination. This has been fun all the way through. Uh, the artist this time out was uh, Michael uh, Dionius? Dion? Whatever. I'm not going to work here anymore. Uh, anyway, I really, uh, I was a big fan of the art and the, the choices on this book. Um, to just make this kind of a a fun book and a with in a different style than you expect from I guess a Marvel comic mm-hmm. uh, and and it fit really well I I liked how it's almost like it was like an indie comic cartoon like what I think of as old cartoony indie comics yes. uh, sort of uh, like dots for eyes and um, you know not huge dramatic poses but more regular cartooning. I mean, like uh, like Hank McCoy in this, young Hank McCoy has got yep. like the big glasses, and they're like just huge, oversized, like owl glasses, and yep. um, and it's and it it's drawn like maybe an indie relationship comic, yeah, um, like that kind of thing, like maybe kind of like an Alex Robinson kind of a book, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's instead of say like a ton of uh, muscles and straps and stuff, there's there's it's all very line based and, and shape based. So like all the characters have a different uh you know, a different shape to them. You know, and like yeah, what's cool yeah. about it is that when they get into action sequences, Mike Costa's really good with like battle tactics. Like mm-hmm. taking all of the characters that he has and they're fighting some robots in this issue. Um what do we do to get or they're falling you know, from an exploding helicopter and they're free falling. And what, you know, what are we going to do with the limited time that we have? And you're, you know, you, uh, you're Jean Grey, you have, you know, telepathy, you should be able to do this and blah, blah, blah. And 
it's it's really thoughtful like what are mm-hmm. when you have all of these characters together in this combination what can how can these powers you know coalesce and he made it he made it difficult on himself because as you know these are the all new x-men they don't know how to do squat yet <laughs> so he's like gene do this and she's like i don't want to do that okay you do this i don't want to do that yeah like scott right, use fine, scott I'll use your it. optic beams to yeah. to um to stop your descent oh he's passed out <laughs> yeah so he can <laughs> And you have sort of the cathartic moment where where Superior Spider-Man puts the octopus arms back on again, and, mm-hmm. and he takes care of it. Also, symbolically and literally destroying the arms. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, this was just uh, – it, it was a fun book. It was one of those things where, you know, we've known about Mike Costa for years uh, doing uh, work over on Cobra – uh, for IDW, and it has always been interesting to me that he hasn't really popped up that much in uh, "quote unquote" mainstream comics. Uh, right. He had he had a series over at the DC relaunch that lasted I don't know, I think he was on it for about seven pages, um, <laughs> the Blackhawks book, and they were like, oh, ah! right. okay, yeah, um, you know. But dude's got dude's got a lot of talent, and what I like is that it would be really easy. I'm going to do some comparison of writers, but uh, another guy sort of in that same vein would be something like uh, Nathan Edmondson who's sort of known for doing sort of gritty militaristic sort of cold uh, operational kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so when he's done books uh, in, for Marvel and DC, they've sort of felt like that. This doesn't feel anything like G.I. Joe Cobra. Uh, no. Other than the <laughs> fact that the sort of relationships in it are, are very strong, the sort of way that the people interact in the voices. That's always been a strength of G.I. Joe Cobra. But it has a very different tone, and it shows me that he's got a lot of range. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really impressed by that, and I think that he's a guy that, you know, they give him some more books to do, and it feels like he's done really well with this. This feels to me like Marvel's version of a tryout book, you know, and, and he, he sort of nailed it. Uh, and I, I'm guessing we're going to see more from him. And, and uh, you know, if you didn't listen to us about G.I. Joe Cobra, watch out for this guy's name because he's going he's gonna to probably do some good stories. Yeah, get this guy on some team books. Yep. Um, teen and team books probably would be a good combination for him. Um, but it's just it's, – it's fun. Without it just – you know, it, there's, there's no subtraction to the action um, – yeah, no, you're right. And it's all the set classic, pieces, it's great. It's very classic superhero-y. And I feel like it has a, a sort of light edge. And there's going to be a question about this later uh, in the audience questions. Um, but this is the kind of book that I see come out of um, Marvel that I'm not seeing come out of DC right now. And if you look at sort of the editor credits at the beginning, this is Jordan White and uh, Nick Lowe uh, mm-hmm. as associate and sort of main editor on it. You know, these are the guys who do Deadpool. Uh, these are the guys who've done other really good, fun books. Nick Lowe is, of course, you know, he's he's the big X Men editor, but he's the guy behind um, the the Fury series, the Fury Max series. That was the greatest thing on earth. Like, like, like for me right now, those are guys that are doing great work at Marvel. Uh, you know, and faring really fun, cool little projects through. And and because of the way that this was set up, it's very easy to have it go under the radar. It's a one shot. It's you know, the the titles aren't the same all the way across it. It seems it's outside of whatever the regular story is. But it fits in perfectly with that stuff. It doesn't take away from it. And if you like these characters, it's really like combined all the things that are good about Superior Spider-Man, which I stopped reading, all new X-Men and, and the whatever the Hulk is, whatever his adjective is. Incredible now. Hulk. Or it's not incredible. Indestructible Hulk. Excuse indestructible me. Hulk. There you go. Yeah. Um, um, no, but, but, that's the, but that's the thing, too. I was thinking about it like if this was just a miniseries with its own name, would we have looked at it necessarily? Well, I don't, I, know. I don't know. Yeah. I would have looked at well, we, it. I hope so. We but... only looked at it because Paul accidentally bought it thinking it was related to the All-New X-Men story. I actually read it before he did that. Right. I think I got it on accident. But again, like it was all accidental. Mm-hmm. So um, How many parts were there? Three or four? Just three. three. So just two out of three issues. were fixed a week, which would tell you, you know, the quality of this miniseries. Yeah, and well, you know, on, on another week, you know, the second installment could have been a pick of the week, too. That was sure. very good. They, they were all equally good. And I think, uh, I don't know, they're just... If you enjoy these characters, like he got, he got what was really cool about the current incarnations of these characters. Because one thing you've got to, I have to, I don't want to even give Marvel credit for, but they found a way to make these characters, which had become for me largely stale, somewhat interesting. In the same way that when when they got rid of Bruce Wayne for a while, and it was it was Dick Grayson, it was like, oh good, I can I can hang out with Batman, but. It, it feels different, and this has been a way. What with the new sort of uh, iteration of Banner. Well, he's the one who's changed the least, but you know the younger X Men, and then you know I can't believe that that Otto Octavius as Spider Man works, but it does, and it I really think does, that, especially I in the story. This story has captured for me 
his the understanding of what the justification for why he wants to be a hero better than any of the other stuff I've read about it. Mm-hmm. There's also a really great moment at the end of this where um, where Banner is talking to young Scott Summers, mm-hmm. and Scott's like, "Why haven't you like killed yourself? <laughs> like, yeah. he's like, why haven't you like all the terrible things you've done? Why haven't you ever you know ended it?" And he's like, "Well, I've certainly thought about it, but then I think about all the things that I can accomplish as a scientist, and I'm working on this you know this this water filter thing in Africa and." Um, I'm atoning and you just kind of, you have to balance that out. And it's, it's a great understanding of that character psychology. And, you know, you never really think of what, what, what's the conversation that Bruce Banner would have with Scott Summers, let alone young Scott Summers, um, Mm -hmm. and their commiseration. And so I thought that was, that was really good. That was really, really sharp. Yeah. I also, I, in that same way that the next page is, is, you know, Otto thinking, well, geez, what if I went back and I, I guided my younger self? Mm-hmm. And he sees himself as Doctor Octopus with the Avengers, you know. He, and then he's like, "No, that time's just gonna." I'm, he's smart enough to know time's gonna mess that up, you know. Or traveling in time is never a good idea. Like you're gonna screw something else mm-hmm. up. So he, he decides against it and just decides to move forward. Yeah, um, somehow the uh, the old Captain America is wearing this stupid new costume. Um, he will do the, that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, while you were talking, I downloaded this, and uh, the art is wonderful. Isn't it? It's yeah. it's totally like it looks like more you know you'd look find it home in box office poison or something a book like that, um, which is I think part of the miracle of the series has been they put really indie minded artists on it, but didn't really market it that way. Just yeah, had them do the story. It works the, works out really well. The covers are lies. Let's just get it out yeah. there. Um, but for me, you know, and I I am I'm a hundred percent not the majority on this kind of thing. But for me, like this is the I love this art. This this art, you yeah. know, like nice. Flat, solid colors on stuff. You know, it's just cartooning. You know, and that's 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 great. Uh, and and I think like you know, the, it's constructed well. The storytelling is good. He's got his splash pages where you need to. You know, it's it's got all of the things that that comics can do. Um, it'd be fun to see more work from this dude. Well, if you want to talk about more art, that's pretty wonderful. Uh, this was the week that the newest, the latest Sandman comic came out, which. Now, granted, I'm not as plugged in as I used to be, but I didn't feel like this really hit with any kind of seismic force. But I feel Sand- like Karen Berger being gone from Vertigo undercut this to a certain extent. The Sandman Overture Number One from Neil Gaiman and uh, J.H. Williams III, and uh, it was mostly two-page spreads. Yeah, uh, and just you know, the wonderful. big old gatefold in here. Um, I got this in in print, and I was like, oh, I, I'm really glad that I have this physically because navigating this digitally would <laughs> i think it defeats really defeats the purpose on on this especially this kind of issue um that said in what way? i have no idea what this is <laughs> i and it should be it should be noted i didn't read sandman so well, okay yeah. well let's yeah and, and that's yeah. the thing uh, this is uh i did read sandman i read it a couple times i was sort of made the de facto sandman guy even though it's never really been one of my favorite series i think it's very good i have you know i have all the books i've read them um this really, this is the question that says, you know, that asks again, as in comics, we try over and over, can you, can you go home again? Can, you know, we, we asked, can, can uh, James Robinson come back to Sandman? And he did in sort of Star sideways man, man with, uh, sorry, Starman uh, with the, um, oh, I just blanked completely, the Shade miniseries. Right. Um, and that actually worked out really well. This as a first issue worked out pretty well. Uh, this as a, as a first issue other than having really stunning art and feeling familiar, um, it didn't really – not much happened, so it's hard to say. Um, right. It starts off spending a lot of time with the Corinthian, who is one of the more memorable and sort of scary characters from uh, the first series. And I was instantly like, ooh, Corinthian. That's terrible. He's got, uh, he's got uh, teeth in his eyes, um, which is enough of a description to make him scary. Mouth um, eyes. But we <laughs> – mouth eyes, of course. And you get POV and, shots from inside yeah. his mouth. Yeah. It's really you, cool. You get, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, J.H. Williams III, there's, there's, you know what you're going to get. There's not much to complain about. It's, it's always very impressive. His style sort of whips around and, and we get to see a lot of different stuff. You know, the characters all sound like the characters because Neil Gaiman has that down. Um, but basically, you know, if, if you were to ask me what the plot of it is, uh, he has a meeting with the Corinthian, asks him to go do something. Uh, no, he asks him, he's going to un- unmake him, I guess. Uh, but then he, has, yeah. he gets called away. He gets called away before that can happen, and he shows up uh, to some sort of calling. And there are a bunch of other Sandmen there, 
and that's where we left off. Are those so, the endless? No, 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 no. Those are those are all sand. Those are different versions of. of oh, Sandman. okay. All right. We were previously led to believe that the reason that there are different versions of Sandman is that because he's the Lord of Dreams, uh, people uh, see him in different ways, and he projects himself in different ways. And but it's all sort of the same God. But God isn't even the right word. It's even bigger than that. So these are all different versions. There's the Cat Sandman. And there's there's Daniel in there, and there's uh, different sort of renderings of him. So. You know what my favorite character was? Which? It'd be George Portocolis. Oh, yeah. No, I knew you'd like that. I was like, that's for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we don't know. He seems to be being um, confronted by his himself. And it's very much a... It's almost a cold open. Well, it's funny because I'd only read the trades um, Mm -hmm. for that video show we did a long time ago. I don't remember how long ago that was. In 2008, probably. And... uh, so I hadn't read Sandman since then, but I, I really did like, and I didn't super, I didn't really really love it, but I did like, I did really like it all the, you know, all the way through. And it wasn't always traditionally storytelling, you know, a no. lot of game and stuff is just sort of atmospheric and experiential stuff. And I just love the way he writes so much. And yeah. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's because I can hear his voice, and his voice is is so amazingly pleasant. Yeah. That when when he when I read it I hear him t- saying it and that just makes me happy. But I really did I did like this quite a bit. Um, but, but I mean, like you said, I couldn't tell you what the story was necessarily. But I did like the way it was written and I liked the characters. You know, the Corinthians, the scary character. I liked. I've always liked. You know, Sandman, however you want to call him. Um, I think. I think if you, I think it's it's honestly it's too early to judge. To be, yeah, you know, exactly. if you think about, we all read Sandman if we read it at all uh, in trade form. So I never had to read it in issues. Right. So and then in that time since Sandman's been over, Neil Gaiman has become immensely famous and successful. But he's a novel writer. He writes long books. So to compress him into judging things by doing it in issues, I think is is not Hard the right course. way to look at yeah. it. So this is going to be a story I think that that isn't really going to be able to be judged until we've read the whole thing. So I'm not. I'm gonna keep reading uh, Sandman Overture. Obviously, uh, it's got all the marks of of quality. Something that's gonna be there. I think that if you have never read Sandman and you're gonna start reading here, it's gonna fall a little flat for you. There's a bit of a barrier yeah. to entry, but um, the prose is lovely. So and it, and it does make dude, me want to go back and, and revisit the early stuff. Dude, can visit the early stuff for the first time. <laughs> it's it you know, and it's worth it. It's absolutely worth. it. And I should it, say, I've I've read and enjoyed several of his novels. So yeah, I'm, I'm a gaming fan, but. Yeah, and you get J.H. Williams the third. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, I'd rather have him on this than some. Bad it's one. a really good pairing. It is, you know, um, yeah. it is. That's although I, know, I did yeah. notice they made they made him less sort of like dreamy as a character. You know, like he had a big, big the, the Sandman character had a big appeal towards young women when it first came out. Mm-hmm. It's it sort of in that Edward of Twilight he, way, and here he's, he doesn't really have that sort of. He looks a lot idle, dreamy. Yes. He looks a lot yeah. like he did in the first issue of the other Sandman, really. Right. He, he changes. I mean, that's the thing. Sure. Like he, yeah. And I, th- I mean, obviously, like, that's going to be part of the story. The part of the story is how many different versions of him there are and what that means. Sure. He reminds um, me of uh, Hermes from um, Wonder Woman. I, he, I don't think he has. He doesn't have a mean streak like that. The, the, I mean, the, the physically. Uh, yeah. No, you're right. The face. Yeah. yeah. So this week we also had uh, Fox number one from Archie Comics, and this is uh, notable because it's written and drawn by Dean Haspiel with uh, dialogue by Mark Wade. So Mark Wade didn't exactly write the plot, but he did script the plot. And also John Workman on letters, which is also I saw that. You know, um, you're a comic book nerd, but you're like, ooh, Workman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't love this. I didn't make it. Yeah, it, I started it, to read it and I was like, "Ah, uh, no." It it feels much more simplistic in a way that something like Archie, the Afterlife with Archie, uh, doesn't. Where that feels very, very much all ages, but all, in a sophisticated way, this felt very sort of uh, simple. Um, so it was it was difficult. I was looking forward to it. I wasn't really really excited for it, but I was looking forward to it because it's interesting. I did like these Red Circle Comics characters. They're all these golden age. Uh, superheroes that Archie is bringing back. What's the character yeah. like? What's the setup? The Fox is a journalist who put on the costume to find where the action is. Okay. Uh, 
And that's really I mean, in there. You know, that's really what it is. Uh, Will Patton was a photojournalist who couldn't seem to find the story, so he became a crime fighter to make the story come to him. And uh, he's kind of like Spider-Man in that sense. He goes out and creates the story and then reports on it, which seems unethical, but we'll just ignore that. Um, <laughs> you know, in this issue, he's he goes to investigate this uh, skin cream or something. Um, Every time with the skin cream. <laughs> uh what does this woman do uh she does something with uh oh she's a magazine editor like one of the women's fashion magazine editors and it turns out she's actually a demon and she's kind of scary looking with a, with a scary face and then they fight for the whole issue and then uh you know it's fine it just, it just was very simple which is good. I mean, you know, if it's if aimed at a younger audience. Does it seem like it's going to be like an episodic kind of thing or more like ongoing arcs? Well, at the end, there's a, another character shows up, which, um, and this tells you how much I retained from the story because it wasn't really that interesting. Um, another character shows up and that's going to continue on with that story. So it it's somewhat, it looks like that particular episode is over, but this new character shows up at the end. It's you know, sort of like connective tissue to the next thing. So it's a little more, it's not episodic in a way that a regular Archie comic is episodic, but it looks like this caper is over. So I did so, kind of enjoy the backup story a little bit more, which is actually written by Aspiel entirely, I think, which was uh, where the fox goes to um, buy a camera at a pawn shop and there's trouble. But because he wants to buy a real camera for his son because he's a photojournalist and he wants. He, there's a whole spiel. There's a, there's a lot of old man stuff in here. Like mm. the whole spiel, about, you know, when you, when you can take a million pictures with your digital camera, it doesn't lose its specialness when you have to take find that one photo because you don't have a lot of film. It's it's harder, which is not not wrong. But I was one of the last uh, photo classes at my university where you had the option for physical film versus digital. Right, I was digital took, anyway, but because uh, <laughs> I happen to have a digital camera, so I used my it. wife started shooting. She would give people the option. If you want film or whatever, but it costs a lot more. So and now it's just gone. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that great. I was, I was kind of sad that I didn't. Love I, I tried. I, I read like a few, and I was like, this feels like when I tried it. What was that other? What's that other thing that Wade did uh, for Dynamite? Oh yeah, he did Green, Green Hornet. It was like that. I was like, all yeah. right, you know, I, 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 I don't have to like everything Wade does. No, no, no. And you know, it just it is what it is. There's, there's, a, there are some comics for this is this thing is aimed at a squarely younger audience, which is fine. Totally. They're allowed, to have, they're allowed to have comics. It should have them. So, yeah. And Haskell's a good artist. I was sad because I'm I I do like what Archie does in general. And but I I for a little bit I thought, am I going to have the first Archie figure? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's never that was, happened, right? That's the thing. No, I never had one. It would have been Arch, Afterlife Archie jerk. Yeah. Uh, Swamp Thing Annual Number I Two. I don't make the schedule. I know. Swamp Thing Annual Number Two, which is another issue written by the main writer of Charles Soul. Charles Soul minute. And I really like this a lot. Uh, I love his exploration of the history. Of, I love Dinosaur Swamp Thing. I want to see a whole story about that one. Um, this was it's basically the, this was Empire Strikes Back. This was Swamp Thing in the in the cave with Yoda. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is the uh, whatever the Jeff Johns effect is, which is like, hey, what if we made a bunch of different colored rings, and that's sort of gone out into everything, you know? And like, well, what if we have a bunch of different Swamp Things? And I love like the fat uh, colonial Burgess swamp thing. I could, <laughs> what a what a wonderful design that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I just I think it's really interesting that I I enjoyed Scott Snyder's Swamp Thing a lot. I thought it was good, mm-hmm. um, but I think that I think Charles is is maybe better suited for the character. Um, yeah, I, I think I think he's, he's got. A, I think the hold on the the hold on the the mythology. Is interesting that he has, and um, he. I think I think his is a more traditional approach, which is kind of what I was looking for in anyway. Yeah, and this is this is not superhero swamp thing, which is what Snyder's swamp thing was. This is like Avatar, well, you know, doomed Avatar of the Green Swamp. Really getting into the lore of, of yeah. the thing that I really liked about this is it's interesting that he that I really like the character of 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 the green, which didn't used to be the green. It was the Parliament of Trees, and it's something that's always been around. So it's not a new thing. I like that it's not human, and they you know you're continually going back to that. Like they don't give a, they don't care about humans. That's not a right. thing. And because he is actually Alec Holland, and the Swamp Thing that we read from Alan Moore primarily was not Alec Holland. 
Um, right. and, and, and there's a reintroduction to that and a, a confrontation of that in this. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and I, I like I like the conflict that, that's going on there. Um, yeah, Alex mad. He's like he wants this thing, but he doesn't. But he's stuck in the middle of this. And and you know we got to meet the old ellipses swamp thing we haven't seen for a while. I like the conflict of you know he thinks his job is to protect the humans. They're like fuck the humans, protect the, yeah. protect the trees and uh, the grass and everything. And it's 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 you know it's do a what very... you have to do what you have to do to protect the the, the plant life. And he's like. Eh, do that i want to kill people just protect trees you know i don't i don't know where it was brought from but it's very uh reminiscent of uh the ants you know the lord of the rings uh tolkien sort of you know they they move at a different speed their concerns are different their way that they look at the world is different um so there's definitely there's a there's a, a note of that in here um which i like um I like that the avatars have all tried to re- regain, like they've all tried this some little weird way to hold on to whatever their version of humanity was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I the art uh, by going back to the beginning. There's a couple of guys in. Uh, oh, was it? Was it a few? I think it was yeah. great. It was really like this. One of those things where Javier Pina, and then and, Kino. and then Kino. Um, like they were just allowed to play with the how to you know these plant creatures build themselves and all these different versions of it and it was fun to look at his sort of the palatial ma- manor house you know right. made of plants and and he flies away on one of those little helicopter things and yeah it's not like willy wonka it's like yeah you know like i'm stepping off this barge and i'm getting on a plant and he's gonna take me away like a helicopter it was i just i, I this is exceptionally fun mm-hmm. um and we were talking earlier and we're gonna talk again about dc's fun quotient but this was fun not in the overt way that I think you'd expect, but I just thought the imagination made it really fun and interesting. And, you know, we saw all these different kinds of swamp things and they were, I thought they were presented in a fun way. And I really I think, enjoyed I think if there's, there's anybody out there who read, say, uh, Charles's first issue or two of Swamp Thing, where I, he didn't remember fine, but I don't think he quite had it. Like it was the one in Metropolis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you, and if you like Swamp Thing and you're like, ah, that wasn't quite, I think if you come back and you read through these, you're going to, I think he's got it. You know, I think he's he's sort of picked up on that thread and run with it. And these are these are you know the issues are getting stronger as he goes through them. Yep, I really liked it. So Paul, Paul, yeah, Paul, Battle of the Atom number two, yeah, culmination of the event. Um, so, uh, speaking of multiple artists, (laughs) ouch. Okay, so this is Jason Aaron and Isad Ribic, which sound great. Love those two together. I don't think this was the best choice. It would have for been Isad Rubik. Uh, well, the, the, it starts off with Isad Rubik, and there's the, there's an there's an inker on here that just obliterates his art. Yeah, that's... In, the, in the other in Thor, there wasn't an inker. Um, well, the I other thought... thing is that just tonally, the story and and Jason right. Aaron is playing with you know the the way that that Bendis plays with these characters in the dialogue, and it's very quippy and jokey. And Isad Rubik isn't that artist. Right. Um, that's, that's not what he's great for. And the weird thing, so the, the, the issue sort of morphs into Giuseppe Coley comes in and does some fill and stuff. But the thing is the stuff the common Coley does is what he said Ribic should have been doing is the scene yeah. with the, like with, um, with Zorn and like maybe going to turn into the Phoenix or something. And, and it gets really like larger than life. And I was like, that's the, those are the, if the, if, if Ribic was going to do any pages in this issue, it should have been those pages. Um, it, it, for a, a story that I've loved, right. I thought this really fell on its face at the end. And, and not in the typical way. I thought it was because of the what you're mentioning, of the creative team choices were just uh, pretty much a big misstep. It was just a mismatch. And it's sort of like you think like you can never go wrong with Isad Ribic. And, I, and there are some beautiful images in here but yeah i think that the the inking isn't quite right and i don't exactly know how to articulate that but it just it doesn't look it doesn't look as not that it was polished in thor because we always talk about how it was so rough hewn but you know um, it, it looks like a heavy-handed inker in the and i don't want to i don't know that this is right it just looked like the more of the inking style came through than the art style yes um, and it doesn't it doesn't look like the thor art at all he collected only, that only, shit yeah, only in little places does it look like the Thor. And the thing is, it just... But even if it you know, did for, look like the Thor stuff, that's the wrong choice for yeah, this book. This, this has been a series that 
has been exemplified by a fantastic art. And I thought, what a bizarre thing to do for the final issue to just and just, having space art wise. And this, and also this particular storyline, having characters from the past, present, and future having inconsistent art is really problematic. Because yeah. which version of the character is that? And some, it is a, it, some characters might be slightly off model and stuff, and you can't tell by their expressions. So the the story, I mean, it's pretty good stuff. Uh, other than the fact that you know you were talking about Tolkien earlier, um, there's like seven epilogues to the story, <laughs> and well, it's, they give they give each each book its own epilogue, so that each writer from each book gets to write where those characters are going next, which makes sense in a crossover like this. I actually thought that was okay, it just. Even at that point, that not, they get to use their regular artists for that, which was good. It just, before that, the culmination of this great story, just by that point, I was already annoyed that I wasn't happy with the issue. Yeah, so uh, it's, I mean, there's there's some great moments in this issue, um, and I liked some of that epilogue stuff. I liked the idea of seeing uh, Jubilee's kid um, right. that she's sort of adopted, um, all grown up as sort of the future Iron Man kind of character. And interacting with her, um, and saying that you 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 sort of get this together, and it's 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 a little offset by they're still playing with this vampire stuff. It's like, come on, nobody which, which likes the vampire that, stuff. Quarter of that's never going to stop. So yeah, he's like, you get you get better, <laughs> but like you're still a vampire. Like she just deals with it. Um, but I mean, and you know, there's uh, there's great stuff with with Wolverine and Cyclops. I don't know that I entirely buy Kitty exiting. That feels sort of like a contrivance of. The plot, like this, is where the story's going next. And joining um, Scott. And jo- joining Scott. Yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't entirely buy that. I mean, I know there were beats to set that up earlier in this crossover, but it just feels like this is what the next status quo is going to be. So therefore, I'm mad at you. I do um, kind of like the idea that they're not really explaining why the original X Men can't go back. It's just, well, time won't let them. Let's move on. Yeah, and they sort of the, the, the declaration really, really is that we're of this time, we're where we belong. And I think today online just popped up the previews for um, their new costumes they're going to get. I kind of like the old costumes. I just kind of like them running around. Because they're classic. They're, they are classic, and these are very not classic. They're classic for a reason. Right. Um, I'm talking like Peter Franklin because I just watched those things. No, but, uh, but yeah, so, but, but anyway, so it's like, it, I think the, the art is, is sort of a problem. And then just, I think it, it feels slightly rushed at the end to yeah, not, let's, let's ferry them off to their own books. So, um, otherwise I think all the issues leading up to this were fantastic and I was ready to call it, you know, my favorite Marvel event in a while. I feel like they... They created a lot out of this, a bunch of different X-Men teams, a bunch of different future versions, things mm-hmm. like that. And at the end, you have all these neat things that you created, but the hard part is making that work. Right. And it sounds oh, to me like... Oh, what are they wearing? Yeah. I just like, looked up the I saw the preview. I hadn't seen it yet. When what? I saw Beast, I didn't know that that was Beast. I thought that that was Scott. Yeah. And then what? I looked behind him, and they're, okay, well, that's clearly Scott. Why? Oh. Yeah, they're pretty... I'm going to look at this. Hang on. Well, don't hang on. Keep talking. They're sort of like Legion of Superhero costumes. Defeat from the Jaws of Victory kind of situation here. Uh, oh, yeah. God. So just this this weird they it, this weird. It's like the the gymnastics team, like like the girl who's really good at doing the vaults, and then she goes up to do that last one, and she like just stumbles at the end. Like that's yeah. that's what this felt like. It was like every it was doing so well, and then. Uh, this this art thing was a problem. I mean, and even if it worked out with with Eastside Rivik, it's not the right choice. Um, yeah, it just wasn't. That was pretty. I was pretty bummed. In a week when I didn't have tons of comics, like I had like ten or less. That, this is the one I was the most looking forward to. And uh, oof, it was rough. like Alex Ross doing a Scotty Young baby variant cover. Like you don't mix those two. <laughs> like, I don't know. I kind of want to see that now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyways, um, Josh, tell the people how they can help. You can help by going to ifanboy.com slash Amazon. You want more? Yes. No. Just embellish a little bit. <laughs> I was looking at this art. Now, anyway, uh, one of the ways that, that you can uh, help ifanboy and uh, keep these uh, podcasts going and, and keep the uh, proverbial lights on is to uh, make all of your internet purchases that you can through uh, our Amazon link, which costs you nothing. 
and it does nothing but help us. And you can buy right. – uh, I believe we've done some funny bits on here about the different kinds of things you can buy. Right. But there are also very – there's lots of sort of regular non-funny things that you could also buy through there. Um, like buy, a, buy, a, buy a PS4. You could do – that would actually be – that would be great. Or we perhaps like that in all the games? A large television. But what I'm saying is that if you have a large purchase of some kind, just – Run it through there. And if it costs you maybe a little more than maybe with somewhere else, maybe that's worth it to you. You know what? I think it's time to upgrade to a 4K TV. It's not too that's early. It's never too early. I have decided to stop keeping up with that kind of technology so that I don't worry about it. Yeah. Because <laughs> my, my TV, which is ostensibly a very nice LCD TV, but it's only 46 inches and it's like four or five years old now. I'm, I'm sure there's something better. There's like three things better. I don't want to know. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to uh, start emailing you information. That's fine. That's fine. Do that. Or you can sign up for a membership uh, uh, to sort of help uh, directly, monetarily uh, help. We've uh, reduced the sort of rates down to 3 bucks a month or 30 bucks a year. Um, and that uh, just goes uh, directly to uh, paying the, the bandwidth bills and the, and the different sort of systems we use to keep this stuff going. And uh, I don't – where's what do we – what do we figure out what the, the link for that was? Yes, we should put it in the script, though, from now on. Starting yeah, next week, I, we'll have the link. It's on the website. You'll find it. Yeah, it's on the website. You'll find it right there at the top. Uh, and that's, uh, that's one way to uh, very directly contribute to uh, this thing if you like it very much and find it important. Uh, it's the least you can do. No. <laughs> the least you can do is nothing, and that's also that's an option, too, I suppose. So, I suppose. damn that Brian Cave on and his last page cliffhangers. In which a fan favorite character gets a knife sunk in his in his throat. I think in this neck. issue and at well actually in this series really he's he's also stepped up with shocking opening pages. Um, there I mean there have been famous ones that have like genitals on them. Um, right. This this one, um, you know, <laughs> in particular, <laughs> um, it's this is great stuff. Does this book? Does this issue look different to you guys? Is there like something going on? That first page does. There's a lot more painting in it. It feels, I don't know, flatter than usual. Maybe a bolder inking line. I don't know. It just felt a li- like slightly different to me than usual. I haven't read it in such a while. To the it feels point like it's been a while. that I, to the point that I was looking at it and trying and trying to look at the credits and saying, "Is this a different artist aping her style?" Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I don't know exactly what it is but but anyways it still looks great i just like that there are a lot of books with blowjobs this month yeah (laughs) images just all blowjobs all the time saga number eight in case we haven't it's actually saga 15 i don't know why it was written that way oh jesus Um, jesus josh jesus saga 15 that was was a mistake carried over somewhere else none of these people Uh, had to know that Sex number eight, meanwhile, did come out. This was the culmination of the first story arc. In fact, it's called Culminational, which I didn't even realize until I opened it. Um, so this is the, this is the first arc, which which will you'll find in the first collection, these first eight issues. And this was the orgy issue. And yes, it was. Yeah, it, but just like the rest of the series, like this poor dude. No, no, I think I, I find what is going on with this main character fascinating. And I, it was such, you know, if you've been reading along, he has been, he is the retired Batman character for the city. And I was just hanging out with somebody who works on this book, and they were calling them characters by the Batman names. So that's, I'm going <laughs> to need to do that. Um, Batman, this, the retired Batman's character, he's so repressed from his old life. He doesn't know how to interact with society, doesn't know how to have relationships, certainly can't have sex with anyone. Uh, but... but- but he overcomes. He finally gets this. He finally, yeah. But he, but he finally sort of makes his peace with it in this issue, or, or at least seems to. And and Catwoman falls asleep on him. That was uh, just. That's man. That's. Weird. I was like, oh, you were ready, and then you know what are you gonna do? But I, I, I love this exploration. It's a really great drama series. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. I just. I mean, it's really dirty. It's really graphically dirty, but it's not about that. That's sort of the. Hook, it's it's actually a, it's it's a culminational of of one of those of that I think we talked about this before yeah. that Alan Moore ideal of of mm-hmm. wanting to of like like have put sex in things you can put violence in things put sex in things and not have it be 
pornography or or at least change the difference of what pornography and i think it's not pornography right. it, it's surface you could look at me like, well this is just fucking but it's not it's really interesting that the mate that you're you're trying to understand bruce wayne and and catwoman uh, it's easier by the way than saying the names too you're trying to understand what would make them tick and like he goes and he places himself in the middle of this giant orgy much like we saw it in preacher um that's what it reminded me of like this was the same party in my mind um and like, like he just, he's like, I don't, I don't know what to do with any of this. Instead of sort of even learning how to date regularly, like he's going way too far, which is like, which is, which is such a, a, a parallel to, to becoming a costume superhero. Like, he's jumping the deep end of it. Like, I don't go, I don't go to the police academy or learn how to be a district attorney. I go put on a costume and beat up criminals. It's the same like, like line. It's fascinating. I think if this was presented as pornography, there'd be too much fast forwarding and pausing to, for it to be even worthwhile. This doesn't work in a video format. No. Because no one would make it. Right. <laughs> I really thought that... The, I watched uh, the first 10 minutes. I really thought that the girl, the uh, sort of um, groupy girl who goes and sleeps with the Riddler, uh, which you were, this is awesome. We're just going to keep doing it this way. <laughs> I thought she was going to die, but it's more interesting that she didn't die. I think that, that I really do think this is a great... Because I, it's, it's so non-traditional that I don't have any idea where any of this is going. Nope. I don't even have an inkling of it. But it feels thought out. Like it feels. Oh, it's totally thought out. Uh, 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 it's it's directed. It's not. It's not just haphazard. It's it's intentional. Right. Um, and because of that, like you just like said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm really. It's really interesting. If you're at all interested in this. The collection comes out this month, and it's called The Summer of Hard. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, oh, he's just fucking with everybody with the name. <laughs> All right, Damien, son of Batman, number one by Andy. What was Kubert. this business about? Uh, uh, this 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 was a rough week for comics. I I hate we we don't we don't try to harp on negative stuff. Um, we try to highlight the books we like, but there was a lot of books this week, so we had to highlight what we read. And um, I I don't even think I made it through this this issue. Uh, oh. Yeah, coloring. Aside, like modern coloring aside, if you told me that this was like from 1993, yeah, I would totally believe you. Like storytelling, art, the posing, it's all like it's all character. They're just like going into posing, like posturing, pin up. You know, this is this images. is written drawn by written and drawn by Andy Kubert, and um, one of the things DC's doing a lot these days. And we're we're gonna we're just trying to get to that email. We can talk about it more, but you know they're. they're they're doing a lot of stuff they did in the 90s, including writer-artists. And writer-artists are not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not one of those people that thinks they're bad because they're certainly, you know, comics are bit built on writer-artists. But, you know, not necessarily every artist should be also a writer. And uh, the, I thought the dialogue was really stilted. Um, again, I don't think anybody can really write back Damien other than Grant Morrison, but this really made it. Yeah, and I, the other thing, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be like that, but, like, it's one of those books where you're like, why? Why is this? Right. Why is, why are you... This was a future. This is a future story of sometime in the future. David is a little bit older. He's more of a teenager. Uh, Batman, who acting very stupid, gets blown up, and he's you know he's left to become the new Batman. In the glimpse we had of him in the future in Batman six six six, and so uh, I'm not. And be so really- the so the idea I thought was I thought it was sort of like a Elseworlds thing. Where or a, like a what if if it kind of is I mean it's a it's a future tale that's never gonna yeah but it, and but it but more like if if so if he became Batman and Batman and Bruce had died but then the cliffhanger at the end is that Bruce is still alive maybe I was like so what real really well we don't know for sure if he's still alive it just could be a hallucination it could be all kinds of things all right I guess so but yeah so it just felt like uh, like one of my cousin's old comic books that I inherited like. I was like, this is not of this time, and um, I, I don't, I don't know why you're telling a Damien story now. Well, they're they're trying to capitalize on the hoopla on his deaths, but you know, it's like three months. Is, hasn't that and... hasn't that farm sailed though? Like, yeah, I, this was rough. I didn't, I didn't, ugh, really rough. Corbin, 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 Edgar Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven and the Red Death is a one-shot out of uh, Dark Horse, just like um, The Fall of the House of the Usher, which was a pick of the week before. This is two uh, adaptations of uh, short Edgar Allan Poe stories in one issue, uh, written and drawn by Richard Corbin. Um, Very good. (laughs) Don't that bird leave him alone. He's still good. 
it's great. And and like these were these were just really fun to read and they looked great and they were whimsical and they were timeless and you know, like he captured all of the things that make these stories from Poe creepy without sort of just illustrating the the text basically. You know, like he he did comics out of them. I I mean I thought his his his, you know, telling of the Raven was great in such a short, quick amount of time. Like he completely nailed it. And if like you read that or something and you never understood it, like this will tell you what it is. And I, and, uh, I, I, this could have been a pick of the week. I just, I didn't have much to say about it. Like it, this was great. You know, it's, it's exactly what I expected it to be. It's exactly what I wanted it to be. Of, that's sort of the Corbin problem. It's just like, yep, that's, that's more great Corbin goodness. Oh. Should be in school libraries. Yeah. The sort of the sort of way that he draws, you know, like the king and and the you know the big chin and the giant noses and the huge breasts and just all of that stuff. Uh, it's just it's. I feel like I'm reading something from the 60s or 70s. Corbin's like I don't. He's like Chaucer for like visuals. Like he's like he <laughs> he can he can take all of the foibles and his 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 take on evil is sort of like decadent, you know and. I, Nothing else. This is like the lighting in this thing is magnificent, all the way through. Oh yeah, His lighting is so good, and he's doing all of it. He's doing all of it other than the lettering. Are they doing more of these? Do we know? I don't know. I haven't. You know, to me, they're just little surprises that come out every once in a while. I just hope that Dark Horse is like whatever you want to do it. Yeah, I get the feeling they they don't mind doing that. Go to it. Well, I'm gonna make sure these end up at least in one school library. Yeah. So those are the books we wanted to talk about this week. There weren't a lot. In fact, every book I, I bought this week we talked about, which I read this week we talked about. So that's how many books I read this week. Um, but now we're going to get ahead of the game. Last month we were way behind the book of the month. This week, or this month, we're going to be right on the, right at the top. Right, right in the first week of the, of the month, we're going to talk about Josh's book of the month for November. Uh, which yeah. actually isn't out yet, but it'll be out soon. Yeah, the, 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 the book of the month is The, the Fifth Beetle, uh, the Brian Epstein story. Uh, by I'm gonna try not to butcher Vivek J. Tawari uh, writing and art by Andrew C. Robinson with Kyle Baker. I assume doing uh, a little assists. bit of the cartoony bit. He, no, did, he did the, the, the Philippine bit. section. Yeah, yeah. The, the cartoon cartoony bit at the end. Uh, this comes out November 19th from Dark Horse Comics. So, so this is not out yet, but you can look for it. In order this now. <laughs> uh, you know what? I right away. Uh, I'm. I know that Connor and I are very big Beatles fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we've. Listen to we celebrate their whole catalog, but besides that, like we've read books, we can talk about them and their history and stuff. Now, I wasn't sure where Paul fell on the spectrum. My so one of them. my high school uh, uh, graduation gifts was the Beatles anthology on DVD. Okay, and I would watch that over and over again. But and have so, you okay, read see, the anthology? That. I I've, haven't read the anthology. Honestly, I, I have read the anthology, but I also read there was a Lennon book a little while. I read that, mm-hmm. and then I read. The Beatles. Anyway, anyway yeah, sorry. The um, this is the, this is the Brian Epstein story, and I think one of the interesting things to take away from this before we really dive into too deeply is that, you know, he is one of the most important people in modern music history that doesn't get talked about, right? At, really, at all. It's and true. He, he, he it's they talk about the Beatles. They talk about George Martin, mm-hmm. and he Epstein gets mentioned. You know, he was the manager, and he, but like he doesn't really get the credit for what he did. Mm-hmm. You know. Which is a and big for being the the engine, really, because it's very it would be very believable that there would be no Beatles and if it weren't for Epstein. And what that means, not just to music, but to pop culture is unfathomable. Yeah. Uh so basically But wait, um, before you get into it, just 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 to, to put a you know, exclamation point on that. Didn't even live as long as Jesus. He was thirty two years old when he died. That he's didn't than didn't Jesus. leave as long as as me or Josh. I mean, it's it's oh. really yeah a very tragic story. But and I'm not you know I still have time. <laughs> you know, it's not a spoiler to say that he died young, and this is this is right. a story. So he he you know it's a tragic one. It's a very tragic one. But um, my biggest takeaway from this story is that this is the most gorgeous book I've read in a long time. Yeah, maybe maybe in years. Now, I have heard of Andrew C. Robinson before. I looked him up, and I think I've read some stuff. But whatever it was that he was allowed to do with this right. and, and the sort of direction that he was able to take it, it was just like he's either doing his style or he, he made up a style for this book. There, every, every page I was – because it, it floats in between 
real history and sort of things that are going on in the mind of Epstein and going back and forth a little bit and the the color palette will change throughout it and it's uh it's really something. There are some pages where you just stop and you just stare at it. Like there's there's a moment where they're all in the back of a car like huddled around either it was either a contract or a map or something and they were they were in the back of this car and I mean it was like Fraser Irving looking colors. Like just like, really mystical looking and um it's staggering to like just go through it and every page is like I want that page I want that page I want yeah. that page. Well, what's really interesting about this to me um, is that we've talked about this a lot. The drawing actual people can be very difficult in comics, yep. uh, and as soon as you see, I mean, I'm very familiar with what the Beatles look like, but as soon as you see them, like he captured not only the look of those characters. I don't know what Epstein looked like particularly well because I haven't seen him very much. Because he, uh, he hasn't talked about. Yeah. I can no, tell and, you what George Martin looks like exactly. But, you, yeah. know, you know, he's slightly more handsome in this book than he is in real life. But Yeah, I caught that. Uh, but but, as soon, but I'm gonna say, as soon as the Beatles show up, you knew exactly who they were. And it, it isn't just the way that they looked. Like, he drew their posture and their body language in such a way. Yeah. That was extremely impressive to a person who's very familiar with the Beatles. And that goes to and, Epstein, too. I, th- I think he looks... Um, he looks more handsome because that's the way he held himself and sure. how prim and proper he sort of was. Yeah. Right. Although I um, think we should just give a high level view in that the main, this is, the story of this is, and if you don't know the story, it's Brian Epstein is working for his father's record store in Liverpool. Uh, he's a closet gay man. And it would, at a time when it was illegal, you could get thrown in jail for being gay. Um, and he is uh, told he should go see this band play the cavern, and he then discovers the Beatles, becomes their manager, and um, you know helps lead them to great success. And there's this through line of he is really enamored of the Matador as like a not just as a as a profession or as an or as athletes, but as a romantic ideal. And he thinks of himself sort of as like a Matador kind of guiding this this story along, and and these boys from Liverpool and creating their image. And n- no matter how popular they got, he always had bigger and better ideas for what they could be and what they could do. And even when they didn't, you know, they're like, okay, whatever you say. And I love that relationship because there's, there's, I mean, there's a couple smaller conversations, but it's, it's very, it, I mean, it moves because the, the Beatles story, I mean, it's only, you know, a few years that that, Eight years happened, or yeah, like and it's just a rush, and that's what it feels like. It 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 captures that idea that they were on this this ride. And well, I think that yeah. that one of the things that was really interesting for me was the beginning of it. Was I started reading it and I was like, "This is good. This is interesting." And then you know, like many things, the moment that the Beatles show up, the moment that John walks into that office and starts talking, I was like, "Holy crap!" They they nailed the voice of these guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was I was really, I mean I was kind of taken aback by sort of the the banter and sort of the the little you know the the Beatle sense of humor that was that was made sort of popular at the time. It's like Hard Day's Night, like the, the yeah, yeah the way they speak there. Like he's very clean and yeah. Oh the, yeah, there's a gag page where ba- you know basically John walks in and, and he's like you're late and he's like no no I'm I'm John I'm the leader I can be late <laughs> as I want and so they're standing there and they're talking. And and you know John's a, a John John Lennon was an asshole. I don't yes, know if anybody was. knows that, but I, I just I want that to they be clear. They captured that very well in this. Every time yes. that you have ever like had that conversation with yourself, like, well, do you like to support an artist who's a dick? Like John Lennon was awful. <laughs> just just he was awful just, to Brian Epstein too. Yeah, oh, no, like he, like yeah. Brian Epstein. Like the the popular popular uh, idea is that Epstein was in love with John, and this sort of played a part. And John would just sort of tease him about it all the time. He wasn't mean. He wasn't he wasn't like. He would sort of, he would sort of like uh, tease him along, like maybe this could happen. Yeah, you know? that's my favorite yeah, scene like in the, the book. Attention. I should say the beach scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was really, really strong. Um, anyway, the, yeah. the the point is, so like John walks in and he wants you know the pile of records for free, and then you know the the next is you know George pops his head in, and he's like, "You're late." And he's like, "No, nothing, George." And and then like, <laughs> and then someone else is like, "Well, was, is Paul coming?" Well, he's gonna be late. Yeah, but it'll be clean, you know. And they. <laughs> Like it's just that stuff that made people fall in love with them before you under you know before you knew the music. It was their banter, yeah. It, yeah. But the thing is, this is this is a this is a. Paul mentioned this is a fast-paced book. It's very much kinetic, but at the same time, underneath it all is this crushing loneliness that that yes. Stein's going through, and it's a really sad book, I think overall. And 
not just because he dies, but because of the way he lived as well. You know, he's looking for love. He can't find it. He, they, he, they he compound thinks he that. finds it. It's a, it's a con artist. Right. Um, and they compound and then, it that his, his, his um, secretary, his assistant, is in love exist. with him. Yeah, she wasn't a real person. Okay, but so, well, <laughs> so do you like that addition or not? If she's uh, not real. I didn't mind it as sort of a spirit animal to take us through the thing. I think yeah, yeah. it was a little overwrought hmm. in terms of like, we get it, you're in love with him, but it's never going to happen. Because so that's like, like all of her scenes are about that. Well, she's the idea of the life that if he just hadn't been gay, then this all would have been perfect and easy and he wouldn't have had to take a lot of drugs and he wouldn't have had to sneak around and he wouldn't have to prove himself by doing all of this and he would have been able to be successful and everything would have been perfect, which as we know doesn't actually work out. Yeah, so right. that's why she's not real, maybe. Yeah, they do um, some some great stuff with um, repetition, like you mentioned the pills. Like he goes to see doctors wherever he is to get these pills, and they say, and, "Don't take it with anything else," and it'll it'll help with the homo, you know, with the the homosexuality thing that that whole problem. And you you get the sense that he keeps hearing it, and it just it's like going in one ear and out the other. He doesn't care. Um, and my the, favorite scene was the. Um... He's just so desperate for a friend or someone that he goes to see Colonel Tom Parker, who is uh, Elvis's uh, manager. He thinks he's going to find someone, a kindred spirit, someone who understands his life and the difficulties. And and I love that he's Parker is drawn occasionally as a, like a demon or a shark, or he's got you know sometimes he talks with sharp teeth and red eyes, and he goes back to looking normal. And he was just a despicable human being, and he just gets crushed by that because he's he eating thinks, in every panel. He thinks he's going to find this guy who understands his life and they're going to be buddies and, and they all admire Elvis anyway. And then Park, Tom Parker's like, no, I take, I take all of Elvis's money. I, I get my own money. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stripping this guy dry and also I'm evil. Yeah, um, see, uh, just, I mean, um, just crushed by that. Brian says, you, you take 50% of whatever Elvis makes. And he's like, no, he takes 50% of whatever I make. Yeah. That's the difference. And mm. just like, get me out of here. Um, God, this book is gorgeous. The coloring on it. Yeah, is amazing. Yeah, it's really, uh, really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised I liked it because you know I know the Beatles. Well, we'll see. It'll be fun. It'll be okay. And I was, I was blown away. It was, it was so good looking. And the sort of cartoon. There's a party at the end, and there's like, uh, you know, there, there's uh, it's when the Beatles are older, and there's yeah. lots of other people in the room. I think Stones Keith Richards there. is there. Yeah, and it's just like they look so. It looks so good. It captures the style of all those things, as opposed to photo, uh, you know, yep. sort of cartoon renditions of uh, you know characters. Really, and like I reminded like, of Tom Fowler a little bit sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He could, Tom could have drawn this. You know, like that would have been really cool. It sort of feels like that. It's a great point. Um, um, and this this Vivek J. Tawari guy is, I guess, he's an entertainment producer. Um, he's writing a screenplay of this same story. He wants to make this into a movie. Um, this guy should write more comics. It's a, it's a great. It's he should do that too. But that needs to be told to a wider audience. Um, I, Epstein needs to have his do it. And people who know about the Beatles, you know, yeah. know about Epstein, but the, the wider audience doesn't realize how pivotal he was. But I mean, this is the, this this guy's first comic. He's great. I thought yeah. he was. I thought he was really good at just like um, going from scene to scene. And yeah. I mean, he doesn't hold your hand at all. He um, wants to. You're just. Thank you, Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that. You by the way. This, yes, there is. These little nods I, of lyrics. Please, please me, and yeah. I really liked the sequence where uh, Moxie, the assistant, answers the phone number nine, and he says number nine, number nine, and then Yoko Ono shows up. It was just. I mean, it, it sort of fits the sort of mysticism yeah. that the Beatles had that anyway. That sort of like weird psychedelic kind of feeling. Uh, he manages to make it read that way, which is which is really quite a feat. Um, I I can't imagine I'm going to read a better OGN for quite a while. This is the best thing I've read this year. This might be the best thing I've read since Asterios Polyp. I think I just nice. I was really gobsmacked by this one. So, this is, uh, yeah. So the fifth beat of the Brian this... Epstein story hits stores November nineteenth, around around about there, depending on where you get it from. But uh, it's this wow. year's Tale of Sand. I think it's I think it's our early contender for Book of the Year. Or yeah, late easy. contender, considering it's November. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> took you a while, but we got there. Yeah. Uh, wow. I was really interested because seeing the preview art, but then reading it, I couldn't put it down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Read it in two. Like, I had to stop at one point. Yeah, I read it in two chunks. I, was, I started reading it late at night, and I was like, fuck, I, yep. can, I can finish this or be screwed tomorrow. And 
All right, so you can you can you can pick that up uh, later in the month. Might we suggest our Amazon link again? ifanboycom slash Amazon. Uh, let's do one really quick email and talk about it real quick, and then we get out of here. Yes. Uh, Scott writes in and says, "Why aren't there any fun DC comics? Uh, Adventures of Superman and Batman '66 aside, those are digital." I hear people complain about this, and I see Daredevil and Hawkeye both be critically praised and commercial successes. So what the what? I can't even follow good creators at DC. Is this a problem at DC traceable to editors, writers, corporate overlords, people obsession with the dark and gritty universe and Nolan's Batman? I have no idea how I got this far. I know that there are ebbs and flows in the industry and cyclicals, so fun will return to old Superman and his pals. But how did we get this far? That's a good question. I, I think you know one of the things we've noted, not just us, but other people noted that you know, DC has found they, – they've, they've decided this is what we're going to do. You know, you complain about the internet all you want, but this is what we're going to do. You know, they brought back these 90s creators. Uh, one of the things they've said, they said when New 52 launched was they wanted to bring back all the people from the 90s that, that uh, left comics. And, and so they're going that way. And I think, one of, I think it's stylistically what they're doing it too. I mean, they're, they're very, the costumes are very busy and, and overwrought and, and there's a lot of angst. And I think they're going for that 90s vibe to try to recapture that 90s audience. Do you think um, the Dark Knight has anything to do with it? I mean, when they were talking I about let's, let's do I movies this way, and I thought I, I don't know, maybe it's just taken this long for it to happen. Like I really it wasn't don't think right it away, is. I really think it's. I think really? it's. I think it. I, mean, I don't. I'm just guessing. You, I could be wrong. You could be right. But it it seems to me a very concerted effort to re- recreate '90s comics, and uh, so that's. I think that's where it comes from. But that's just me. Yeah, I, I just think it's that, and they decided that, you know, for, I, I think it's a top-down thing. Like, they said that we're going to do this, and that's why they don't tend we, to though? have a, the triumvirate. I, I don't know who makes the decision in that, but Bob Harris as EIC, and then Jim Lee and Dan Didio as, as co-publishers, and then Jeff Johns as whatever he is, chief creative officer, I think. They you said it backwards. Did I? So the power structure is, is the opposite way. Yeah, no, I, I get that, but the point is, whatever they decided, I feel like, and there's a lot of stuff being handed down to editors to just say, this is, we're going to write in this style. We're going to write editors, in. That's what editors and chiefs It's true. Do. They, and, and that's, you know, what some people have asked for. And they have. And it's a tone. And the thing is, if you're not into that tone, then, you know, maybe this isn't the stuff for you, where you, you're not seeing nearly as many divergences as you do over at Marvel. Now, he mentioned, you know, Adventures of Superman, Batman 66, some of the stuff being done digitally first. I think those are where you're going to see. I bet they're paying less for those page rates and things. Oh, definitely. Not the book. So that's why those are those are able to happen over there. So they can spend less money on those uh, experiments, I guess. Uh, you're seeing a lot less sort of uh, diversity than you do at Marvel. In so style also a bunch of those digital books are ending soon. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah. the so the big question I think think of right now, um, Batman '66 by Jeff Parker. He also did the first Adventures of Superman. He's going to be moving to the print Aquaman. Is that going to be fun? That's what we'll see. But that's, that's what we'll, what we'll know if it's an. I mean, I, I really right. do think it's totally like to do this kind of story, to do this teeth gnashing. I mean, I think you nailed it with the Damien description. It felt like a book from 1992, and there was a lot of angsty posing and teeth gnashing, and it just. I think that's what they're going for. They they want that. They want to re- reclaim that audience that is never coming back, and it's been two years. We know they're not coming back, and you know. But that seems that seems to be we're going to do this and we're going to stick with it. And it makes the money, so they, yeah. I mean, the, that's the thing. Like in the end, the market's going to support that. There were a bunch of different books at the beginning of the start of this, and all of them that were different got got axed. Yeah. So everything is in lockstep, and you know, people supported Villains Month. They sold a lot of books. They had the best so, month of any publisher ever since they've been not, wow. you know measuring these things. I also so, I also think about the the depiction of crypto in that Superboy cover I posted right. a while ago and how he looks like a saber-toothed cat and you put that next to, juxtapose that with just a few years ago, Francis Manipal drawing Crypto as this loving, loyal pet um, in Smallville and Adventure Comics. Um, oh. And I miss that a lot. So, All right, that's, so I, mean, that's what they're, I think that's what we're doing. That they're, they're doing that. Yep. If you want to write in, uh, you can write to contact.fanboy.com or you can call the voicemail at 888-FANBOYS, which is 326-2697. Uh, you guys got anything to... Uh... Quick plug, the upcoming Thor the Dark World podcast is upcoming. How's that for Perfect. a redundant, redundant plug? Uh, the movie comes out next week and we, some form of our group will be talking about it. We don't know yet. We don't know exactly. We haven't talked about it amongst ourselves, but 
as always, there will be a podcast about Thor The Dark World, which I'm very excited for. And very quickly, uh, the next book, Splode, is going to be Doctor Strange The Oath by Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin. Cool. So that'll cool. be in a few weeks. Where do they go, Connor? I was looking at Amazon to purchase myself a copy of something that we were talking about earlier. Um, you go to ifanboy.com to comment on the show, find out uh, uh, all the other podcasts we've got going on. You can comment on those. You can talk about the books of the week you read. You don't have to talk about the books we talked about. You can talk about whatever happened this week in comics under the podcast. Uh, you can follow everything at twitter.com slash ifanboy, facebook.com slash ifanboy. Like I said, uh, we, have, uh, we have more voicemail and email. We just ran out of time this week. But if you want to add to it, uh, we can always use good questions at contact.fanboy.com or leave a voicemail at 888-FANBOYS, which is 326-2697. And if you dig us, write us a review on iTunes, or better yet, tell your friends about us, introduce your mom to podcasts, spread all that iFanboy love. Sweet. I don't know what happens with my Beatles anthology book. I have two of them because we got married. <laughs> well, I, I think the opposite problem is I think it got lost in my parents' divorce. I don't know where it went. That's so, unfair that they would take your book away from you. Well, that's a, I don't that's know. A it was mean judge. All the judge. books went away, and uh, I need to buy, need to buy a new copy. I have an extra one. Maybe you send me your extra copy. Yeah, I might be able to. That's what friends do, Josh. All right, say goodbye. 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 <laughs> I'd like to be. With you. In an octopus's garden with you.